Good morning. I want to start by simply asking you, why are you here this morning? Are you here because today is Sunday and, and you feel obligated to check off a box? Or when you woke up this morning, were you earnestly desiring to worship and draw closer to him? It is my hope, my prayer that we are all here for the right reason. And I know in this room right now, we got a lot of things going on. I know there are some students in this room who are facing end of year tests and research papers. There are individuals that have got lots and lots of stress at work before the year ends. Some of you in this room, you are dealing with physical ailments every single day. I'm going to ask you to do something for me. For the next few minutes, I want you to set all of that aside. I want you to open up your hearts, open up this book, and let's see if we can't draw closer to him. Almost every single weekend, I come home on Sunday evening, I, I reunite with my family, and there is a very similar thing that plays out with my wife. Those of you who, who've traveled around, you've been to different congregations, you know, deep down, the church is not all that big. There are people you will meet who know somebody or, or, or somebody is related to. And so usually I have a conversation with my wife like this. I'll say, oh yeah, I, I met so-and-so's son this weekend. To which she perks up and she says, oh really? Are they married? To which I look at her and say, I have no idea. She said, what well, did that, he have a ring on? <laughs> Never looked. And it's about that time that she gives me the look. And some of you men in this room, you know the look. Because what she really wants is kind of a, a history of this person. Like, who are they related to? Where do they come from? And, and here's the only thing I usually can fill in the gaps with. I usually will say something like, well, I think I, he told me he works in IT with a computing company. Maybe it was IBM. And thus, the look. You know, with men... Usually there are three things that we learn about other people. That is, what do you do? Who do you do it for? And are you good at it? That, that's kind of how we surmise someone. Ladies, totally different. Women's, women want to know, are, are you married? And, and if so, do you have children? One of my wife's favorite questions where did you meet your spouse? She, she wants to know more about that person and their relationships. And as much as it pains me to say so, I think my wife's approach is probably better. Now, why would I say that? Go back with me to the 13th century over in England. They actually had a problem over in England because roughly a third of the population was named either John, Richard, or William. I know we got some Johns in this room. I suspect we got some Richard and Williams. 
And so here's how they solved the problem. They added what you and I call surnames or last names. And often those last names were actually tied to what a person did. And so here in America today, we have people whose last name is, for instance, the bakers or the weavers, the drivers, the carpenters, the shepherds, the singers, the millers. Some of y'all right now are thinking about your last name. It's interesting, though, there was another group of people who, instead of being called by what they did, they were actually referred to as things like Richard son and William son and John son and Robin son. These names were not connected to what they did, but rather who they were connected to. This morning, I want you to understand very clearly that the Bible is a book that is centered around not what a person did, but rather a seed or a lineage of people. And it focuses on how they were connected all the way to Jesus Christ. Take a look. Galatians chapter 3 verse 29 says, If you're Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This morning we're going to be talking a little bit about leaving a lasting legacy. And I need everybody in this room to understand your legacy is not going to be defined by what you did for a living. And I know for some men in this room, right now that's a little troubling to you because you've put your identity into whatever it is you do. Your legacy is going to be largely based on your children and what you leave them. And I don't mean physically what you leave them, but rather whether or not they are faithful to God. I want to share with you very quickly two different families. The first one you have likely never heard of. The second one many of you probably have. Two families that both were living in the early 1700s. The first is a guy by the name of Max Jukes. Max Jukes did not believe in God. He was by no means spiritual in any way. He married a wife who also did not believe in God. They raised their family. And several years ago, a university actually researched both of these families. I want you to look at the legacy that Max Jukes left behind. Out of all of the people that he and his wife gave rise to, there were 440 who lived lives of outright debauchery, 310 paupers, 190 public prostitutes, 130 convicted criminals, 100 alcoholics, 60 habitual thieves, 55 victims of impurity, and 7 murderers. In fact, the state of New York, they, they basically looked at how much this man's family had cost them and put the number at $1.2 million dollars. 
Not exactly the kind of legacy you want to leave behind. The other name, the other family, was Jonathan Edwards. Probably one of the, the most renowned theologians of his time. He also born about 1703. He married his sweetheart, Sarah. Both very, very devout believers in God. Both studied God's word. And I want you to look at what he and Sarah produced as their legacy. A hundred lawyers, dean of a law school, 80 holders of public office, 66 physicians, and a dean of a medical school, 65 professors of colleges and university, 30 judges, 13 college presidents, three mayors of large cities, three governors of states, three United States senators, one controller of the United States Treasury, and one vice president of the United States, all of whom had a very devout belief in God. C. Farrar wrote a book several years ago called Point Man that I would recommend to each and every one of you. In that book, he is pointing out the need for spiritual leadership in the home. And for those of you who have been in the military, he basically paints it this way. He says, in the military, there is a position known as a point man. And that guy's job is to go out in front of the troop and make sure that they are not going to get ambushed, make sure that, that it's a safe passage. He, he's the point man. And Steve Farrar's, his whole book was centered around this idea that the husband, the man of the home, should be the point man of the family. And in his book he said this, the choices that you make with your family today will determine the quality of life and your family tree for generations to come. My fear in this room this morning is that nobody in this room wants to be a Max Juice. You don't want to have convicted criminals, murderers in your family lineage. But I'm not sure that you want to strive hard enough to be that Jonathan Edwards. And so as a result, you're content to just kind of be somewhere in between. And as a result of that, your legacy is not going to be all that it could be. And God is not going to be glorified as much as he could be. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 78. I want us to look at what scripture says about legacies and passing on our faith. Psalm chapter 78, I'm actually going to back up and start in verse 1. The text says, give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength, his wonderful works that he has done. Pick up with me in verse 5. For he established a testimony in Jacob. We're going to spend the vast majority of our time this morning talking about Jacob. So I want you to kind of key in right here. 
and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. I love this picture. Because what you're reading right here is the idea that my job is to make sure that my grandchildren that haven't even been born yet will know, will honor, and will have a fidelity in him. But there is another group. In that same chapter, if you skip down and start with me in verse 9, it says, The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in his law. And they forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. Two different groups, 180 degrees, diametrically opposed. You've got, you've got one group that, that are committed to telling children who haven't even been born. And then you've got this other group who, when the going gets tough, when, when somebody starts to persecute them, their children quite literally lay down arrows, their bows, and they turn their back on God. This morning, I want you to honestly ask yourself, which group do your children and grandchildren fall in? Are you raising up children of Ephraim? Are you raising up children of Jacob? Because here's what I know. I know in this room, every single person, young to old, is leaving a legacy. The question is, what kind of legacy are you going to leave behind? If you have your Bibles, flip over to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to spend the rest of our time pretty much there. Hebrews chapter 11 is an interesting passage because all of the book of Genesis, 50 chapters, there are 25 chapters of that 50 that cover the life of this guy named Jacob. And if you really research, study those chapters, here's what you learn. Roughly a quarter of the book of Genesis deals with this guy named Jacob. And yet the writer of Hebrews, he distills it down to just one verse. In one verse, he is going to give us the summation of what is important about Jacob. And this morning I want us to learn four things from that. Take a look, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, worshipped and leaning on the top of his staff. Point number one, Jacob had a personal faith. If I were to ask you this morning, who was Jacob's grandfather? That would be Abraham, right? Who was his father? Isaac, ring a bell? Could, could Jacob just kick back in a, a recliner, eat bonbons, and say, you know, I, I'm good. I, I don't really need to worry about church because my dad, my dad's Isaac. My, my granddad, he's Abraham. Or maybe a little more personal like we do in the church sometimes. 
My, my granddad helped build this building. My, my dad, my, my dad served as an elder. Well, in the infamous words of Shania Twain, that don't impress me much. By faith, Jacob. Jacob had a personal faith. It's got to be your own. Young people, listen to me. It's okay and good for your parents to have a strong faith, right? But if you think you're going to lean on them when judgment day comes, you are sorely mistaken. It's got to be your faith. Not your grandmothers, not your dads, not your brothers. Romans chapter 14 verse 12 we read, So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. It's kind of like this. Imagine you are going to a paradise environment. Maybe, maybe somewhere like Fiji, right? Your family, everybody's going to go. You have saved up for years for this trip. You've got one of those huts that's on the water. you got a slide and you're snorkeling and a jacuzzi. Everything that your heart could desire. You get to the airport. Dad's got a ticket. Mom's got a ticket. Brother's got a ticket. But daughter doesn't have a ticket. Let me ask you, how, how far is she going to get through that airport? Is she going to get on the plane? Any of you in this room that know anything about TSA and airports, you know she's not going to get through security. I don't care how cute she is, how many influencers she has on social media. At the end of the day, if she doesn't have a ticket, she's not owing. And my fear is in this room there may be some of you who are counting on using mom and dad's ticket. And that's not going to get you to paradise. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Jacob had a personal faith. And so my question to each one of us this morning, including myself, is what am I doing right now that is going to enhance my personal faith and leave the right kind of legacy with my children. And church, I'm one of those guys that sometimes I don't pull any punches. I think for 40, 50 years we've been using too many excuses. And I'm here to tell you today it's time to stop making excuses. If you don't know the book the way you should, if you are not as faithful as you should be, I, I'm saying this because I, I, I'm not trying to be ugly. There's some people listening to me present right here tonight, today who will not be here tonight. And not because you're sick. Because your personal choice. And so again, my question is, what are you doing today in this time to make sure your legacy, what you pass on to your children, is a legacy of faith.
So first and foremost, Jacob had a personal faith. Number two, he had a persevering faith. Look back at the text for just a moment. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, when you look at the portrait that is painted for us in Scripture, here's what you see. You see a guy who's laying in bed on his deathbed. I mean, quite literally, the last hours of his life, and yet he's still worried about spiritual things. I think sometimes in the church we talk a good talk. You know, oh yeah, we got remain faithful till, till death, get a crown of life. But I think the reality is, here's what I see in the church. We hit 65, we start collecting our social security and we retire and we also retire from the church. You realize how many times the Bible talks about older teaching younger? I'm going to tell you something. I'm a little bit tired of 25-year-olds teaching the 40 and 50 and 60-year-olds. That's not what God intended. Wisdom comes with age. And there is a reason why God commanded the older men to teach the younger men and the older women to teach the younger women. And right now, some of the older women are saying, yeah, but they don't want to hear from us. They, they won't listen. Well, then shame on us for parenting in a way in which our children won't listen. It is time that we man up and we realize all the way to death, we are to fight the good fight. That verse right there, that chapter should be Genesis chapter 48. Flip over there with me. Let's look at this picture. Genesis chapter 48, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. Hebrews chapter 11 goes on to tell us not only did he sit up on his bed, he leaned on his staff. So you could just get this mental picture. Here Jacob is in his final hours. His son comes to him and his grandsons and he gets just enough strength to, to get up and he's leaning over on his staff And he's worried about blessing his grandchildren. This morning I want to remind everybody, young to old, Christianity does not come with a retirement age. Picture of the lady behind me is a lady by the name of Vela. I took this picture when she was 81 years old. At that point in her life, she was still doing five overseas mission trips a year. Now, I, I'll give you this. She did slow down to just three. But folks, think about it. Here's a lady. She's 81 years old, and yet she's committed to getting out there, making disciples. Now, I know right now some of y'all are thinking, well, you know, she didn't have arthritis like I do or bursitis or... Folks, she had every itis you got, and then some. But you know what she had? 
she also had a zeal and a passion to do the Lord's work. This is the kind of example that I want my children to see. I want them to see somebody who is willing to put it all on the field and die doing the Lord's work. Because I believe firmly that's what we're commanded to do. Oftentimes we quote Revelation chapter 2 verse 10. Be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. Back up and read the whole verse where we learn Jesus writing to the church of Smyrna. He said, do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Oh, oh wait, wait. You mean they were, they were about, to, about to suffer? He says, indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested. You will have tribulation 10 days. He's saying, look. Folks, you're going to have some persecution, some trials. But then he admonishes them this way. Be faithful until death, and I will give you a crown of life. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Again, I, I don't think there is a retirement clause to that, just like there's not a retirement clause to the Great Commission. It says, go therefore and make disciples. Notice it says, make disciples, and not just people who go to church and die, right? Why, why would Jesus say make disciples? Because disciples make other what? Disciples. We're commanded to make disciples and not just pew sitters. The question is, which one are we doing? And does it matter? Jacob, here he is, he's in the last moments of life. And yet he is still worried about spiritual things. He's worried about his legacy. Moms and dads in this room, our children need to see us get our hands dirty with evangelism. Two reasons. Number one because we're commanded to do so, and number two, because we should love him for the gift that he gave us. Think about it this way. My, I've got four children. Two of my kids are absolute sports fanatics. I mean, they, they smack talk with the best of them. I won't tell you how they felt about one of the games yesterday, but I will remind you that we live in University of Tennessee country and not south of that. That's all I'm going to say. But imagine, imagine my boys, right? They are rooting for his team, and it's a basketball game. Three quarters, their team has absolutely dominated the court. They're up by like 30 it is just, it's a cakewalk. They put in their second string. And then all of a sudden the other team starts to mount a comeback. In fact, in the last quarter of that game, the other team outscores them to the point that they actually have to put in their first string again and they lose. Question. Is anybody going to remember those first three quarters? No, you know what they're going to remember? They're going to remember that that team blew it and they lost. Why am I telling you that? 
because I don't want anybody in this room being devoted to Jesus Christ for three quarters of your life and then coasting for that last quarter. Number three. So, first and foremost, he had a personal faith. He had a persevering faith. And then notice this. He had a praising faith. Jacob, when he was old, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and did what? And worshipped. Even on his deathbed, here's a man who he's worshipping, he's praising God. And folks, that's one way that we can leave a lasting legacy. Christians ought to be the happiest people on the planet. Amen? Because we're saved. And yet, here's what I know. I know some people think when you get old, that that's like, that's a a pardon for older men to get cranky. Don't look at them, you know who I'm talking about. That, that, that That is license for them to become bitter. Folks, That's not Jacob. Jacob is worshiping. He's praising. By the way, have you ever looked at our faces when we sing something like, oh, happy day? It looks like you had a root canal. Been sucking on lemons for three weeks. We should be happy, passionate, and zealous. Why? Because God is our Father, and we have heaven to look forward to. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 says this, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. I think for most of us in this room, it's pretty easy for us to praise him when times are good. When we got enough money in the bank, when our health is good. But what about about times of struggle? What about when... Maybe inflation is not what we want it to be. And, and all of a sudden that paycheck doesn't last till the end of the month. And, and, and times are hard. Last year I, I took my wife on an anniversary trip over to Greece. We walked in the, the footsteps of Paul. And one of the stops that we made was in Philippi. I wanted to, to show her the place where quite literally Paul and Silas were. In fact, those of you who remember Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were brought before the magistrates. They'd been stirring up the town so much so that they were actually thrown into prison. This very prison on the screen. And yet, think about this for just a minute. You got this jailer who is used to hearing curses, used to hearing people who blaspheme God, and yet, what are Paul and Silas doing? They're singing praises to God in prison. Folks, if you don't think that had an effect on that jailer, here's Jacob. He's in the last moments of his life, and yet he is worshiping, he's praising. 
Psalm 100 verse 4 says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Why should we be thankful and praising like Jacob? Because folks, if you're constantly praising and thanking God, that means you're not putting yourself in a place where God should be. In other words, it prevents idolatry. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it because somebody needs to. We got a younger generation that have basically escalated themselves to a position that only God should be. They think the world revolves around them. Well, it's time to humble them a little bit and remind them that's called idolatry. Because that position should be reserved for only God alone. And our praise should be to him. Last but not least, Jacob had a prosperous and a positive faith. Jacob knew, even though he was about to die, that blessing his grandsons was important because God was going to keep his promise. Remember, God had made a promise to him. And because of his unwavering faith, he knew God is going to bless our family. Take a look. 3 John, verses 2 through 4. Beloved, I pray that you prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. This morning we're talking about leaving a lasting legacy. Isn't that really what it's all about? Knowing that your children, your grandchildren are walking in the truth. You say, well, well Brad, my, my daughter, she married a physician. They got a beach house in Myrtle Beach. And that's great. And my question will be to you, um, you know, I've done some seminars in the Myrtle Beach area. Which congregation do they worship with? Because I asked that very question to a lady who was telling me all about her children's beach house. And that's when she got that look, the, the deer in the headlights look, or the, those of you who are computer people, you know, kind of when you reboot. <laughs> her face just kind of rebooted. And she looked at me, and after a few seconds, she said, yeah, well, there, there is that one thing. They, they don't attend anywhere anymore. Folks, that's not one little thing right there. That's the thing. And you can have every beach house, every expensive car you want. But as for me and my house, I want my children to worship the Lord. I've told every one of my kids, I don't care if you end up being a garbage collector, a ditch digger, as long as you do it to your greatest ability and you remain faithful to God, that's what matters to me. You think about the 12 men who spied out the land. 12 guys who, they had one job. Go in, look at the land, come back, give a report and lead the people to it. Two of them, two of them said, yeah, we got this. Ten of them were scared. And they left a legacy. 
And their legacy was millions of people dropping in the wilderness because of their cowardice. Church, we need more Joshua's and Caleb's. We need people who will stand up and say, let's go take it. Because here's what I know. I know transgenderism is coming. I know LGBT activism is coming. And I know eventually the church is probably going to get a little letter from the government saying, hey, here's some verses that you can't speak out against because that's going to be a hate speech crime. And rather than being a governmental church, I pray that our kids are like Joshua and Caleb and saying, we got this because God is on our side. What Caleb say? Look at Numbers chapter 13, verses 30. Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. I don't know if John gives you guys homework. I'm giving you homework. This week, in your own personal time, I want you to read 2 Chronicles chapter 21. Dive into it, look at it. Because in that chapter, what you're going to read about is a king who left a very bad legacy. There's multiple people in Scripture we could turn to, but I, I think this one really hammers home the point. You look at what happened to his children. This morning I want to leave you with a king that left a great legacy. And so in closing, I would ask you to turn with me to John chapter 13. And let's look at a man who he knew he only had a few hours left on this earth. He knew, like Jacob, laying in that bed, leaning on his staff, he knew it was almost over. So what did he do? Think about it for just a minute. If you knew you only had 24 hours left to live, what would you do? Here's a guy who, he didn't leave them any money. He, he didn't leave them an estate. He didn't leave them jewelry. You know what he did? He washed their feet. Now think about that for just a minute. You got 24 hours left to go. And all of a sudden, you're down on your knees and you're not just some people's feet. Do you realize he even washed Judas' feet? He gave them an example and he left them an eternal inheritance. He's washing their feet. He then, take a look with me, John chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Let me ask you, is he, is he working on your place right now? And if not, why not? You see, the legacy that Jesus Christ left wasn't just for his disciples. It was for everybody in this room willing to confess his name, willing to be buried with him. We are the recipients of this New Testament, of his grace, his love, 
and ultimately we are a part of his inheritance. Look at, look at how scripture refers to us. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. This morning, I want to just ask you, what kind of legacy are you leaving? And if you haven't, been purposefully working on your legacy with your children, your grandchildren, today's the day to start. There may be some of you in this room who aren't Christians. Let me point out to you, the passages I just read about being sons of God, joint heirs, being part of His family is not describing you. Because right now you're separated. you got a sin problem. And the only way to fix that problem is the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're here and you have not come in contact with the cleansing blood, if you haven't been buried with him in baptism, let me ask you just straight out, what are you waiting on? If you understand Jesus really did come to this earth, that he died for your sins, for my sins, and you're ready now to repent, to confess his name, to be immersed for the remission of your sins, you can do that this very day. But this morning, I'm extending this invitation a whole lot broader because I know when a guy like me starts an invitation, those of us who've been baptized, we kind of put him on mute because we think, oh, I've checked off that box. And yet, here's what I know. I know there's some of you may have checked off that box decades ago, but you've also grown lukewarm. Or maybe you just haven't been passing on the faith the way you know you should. And right now you know your legacy is not what it needs to be. We're going to sing a song of encouragement. And as we do that, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to worry about the person beside you, behind you, in front of you. I want you to just simply examine your own heart. And if you realize, you know what? I, I do need to make some changes. Maybe I haven't been the spouse I need to be. Or, or maybe I haven't been the parent or grandparent I need to be. And I hope and I pray that you have courage this morning. I, I'll meet you halfway down the aisle. I know coming forward is not all that popular, sad to say, in the church anymore. But folks, let's do what we can this morning to get ourselves, get our children to heaven. Amen.